0: Folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Wednesday night, as I'm recording this following the Denver Nuggets win over the Washington Wizards in the capital city. Final score 127 109. The Nuggets never trailed in this game, if I'm not mistaken. This was I, actually, I, that's not actually true. I'm pretty sure they went down 4-3, or 3-2, or one of those uh, right at the very beginning of the game. But after that, uh, Denver roared out to a 16-8 lead, Washington called timeout, Denver never really relented, and the bench really extended the lead. And it was just one of those games where I think the biggest story of it all is not just that Nikola Jokic had 29 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists, got himself to 10,000 points, in the regular season congratulations to nicola but it was more just that the nuggets took care of business in a situation where it's really easy to mess around after that after you got a you've got a big emotional game for a lot of people in wash or in uh, philly you've got the mvp matchup of course that finishes up you get a big win denver's always been a team that has had some emotional letdown games at times where you you worry just a little bit about uh, the before and the after of games like that. They had this earlier this year in Miami where Denver goes on the road with Miami, Nikola Jokic puts up a great win, and then they go to Orlando and it uh, doesn't necessarily happen that way. Tonight, this looked like a professional basketball team and Austin Rivers mentioned that postgame too and I, I just think that they've grown up. In a lot of different ways, this team has grown from earlier in the season where some of these losses, some of these uh, blown leads, I think were a major concern and kind of a, a character concern for the team. But all, like, it's also a talent concern and execution and whatnot, but I think it's a character thing sometimes where you need to know when to put the gas down and when to put the pedal down as a team. And the Nuggets were absolutely able to do that tonight to the point that the only players that needed to come back into the game for a very brief stretch of time were Monte Morris and Will Barton. Nikola Jokic only played 26 minutes, and everybody other than Monte Morris played less than 30 minutes. That is a great thing, especially for a team that's been injured. That's, as, that's been for as injured as Denver has for so long. So let's go through the starter's in the first segment. Let's go through the bench in the second segment. They deserve equal time. There were definitely some great moments from both the starters and the bench. Let's start, obviously, with Nicole Jokic, who really did run the show tonight. I don't think that there was any doubt that this is how it would be. Uh, Jokic led the team in points, rebounds, assists, tied for steals, and tied for blocks. Kind of like he normally does, but uh, Jake Coin, Bronco Squatch, friend of the program, he put out the stat today that this was Nicola's eleventh time this season, leading his team in all five categories, or at least being tied. Other players around the NBA have all combined to do that just twelve times. Nicola's done it eleven by himself. Nobody else in the NBA has done it more than twice. The holistic level of impact, the uh, complete versatility that Jokic has shown has just been so important for this Nuggets team and being able to showcase every single one of his skill sets, everything that he does. It has a tangible impact for how the Nuggets win games. And you saw it from the get-go where uh, he's defending Kristaps Porzingis, Porzingis gets an offensive rebound, Nikola pins it to the backboard as his only block of the game, but a very important statement block of the game. He gets a steal in transition uh, on Daniel Gafford, I'm pretty sure, or no, in, in the half court, and then gets into transition, loses the ball, saves it back to his teammate Aaron Gordon for an easy layup. Uh, just, just kind of a fluky play a little bit, but it, it just shows a spatial awareness and his coordination and his ability to recover, even when he's acting a little goofy. You've obviously got the passing. There were definitely several plays tonight where you can point to any of the individual passes and say that was masterful. That was incredible. One of the ones that didn't actually go in, he dribbles the ball down into the post, manipulates the defense, waits for the backside uh, guy on the block. I'm pretty sure it was either Jeff Green or Aaron Gordon. Not really sure which one, but Will Barton was in the corner or on the opposite wing. And Jokic spins baseline and chucks a baseball pass after he's being double teamed. And there's multiple guys in the paint behind that double team. It looked like a bunch of dogs like waiting for a treat is how they were kind of flocking to Nikola Jokic in that one singular moment. And then Jokic throws it over the top of every single person. Hits Will Barton perfectly. Unfortunately, it didn't go in. So so is kind of the roles of the NBA, but I do think it's just it's just a testament, a continued testament to who Nikola Jokic is as a player, his impact on this team. Uh, he finished with twenty nine points, thirteen rebounds, eight assists, two steals, one block. Led the team in plus minus at plus sixteen and an eighteen point win, and that margin is absolutely such a big deal. Uh, it's also just a very big deal that he did this in twenty six minutes, where. Uh, he was having some back tightness in this game, uh, back soreness maybe, but I actually think it was tightness. He was, his back was getting a little, little bit tight. Mike Malone did not want to put him back in the game. He sort of brushed it off post-game for reporters, but it does seem like um, he's probably fine, probably just experienced a little bit of stress from the uh, the, the load that he's carrying, let's be honest. Uh, But he continues to be the entire ecosystem for how everything rotates and operates around him, gets a lot of post touches, gets a lot of elbow touches, touches at the top of the key, and he orchestrates everything from those locations and just helps other players play their best brand of basketball. And sometimes you can even see it when he's not touching the ball. When he sort of manipulates the defense into them really having to take into account what he does, they're always kind of shaded his direction. He's always going to get the attention, and it frees everybody else up. And that's honestly kind of using him like Steph Curry in a lot of ways. It's it's not to the degree, of course, that Steph sort of leverages his own individual greatness and in his shooting. But I do think that there is something to that gravity. We saw uh, last game, right, where Bones Highland hits that big three in the fourth quarter. Jokic is kind of posted under the rim, and Embiid, who switched out onto Bones, visibly sees Jokic uh, down under the rim, getting ready to get a rebound. Embiid just abandons Bones, despite the fact that he's a a very capable three-point shooter as he was proving that entire game. So, I do think that there is something to Jokic continually being used, not just as the hub, but as a decoy, and other players continuing to build upon that in several ways. I like how they used Jeff Green tonight. I like how they used Monte Morris. Aaron Gordon got his touches too. It was great. It was a good performance from just about everybody, and the starters just looked great. They looked very locked in. Let's go to Monte Morris now, who did play 31 minutes, 15 points, four assists, one turnover. Uh, Every time you look up, Monte's up over 15. He just seems like the most stable player on the Nuggets right now, outside of maybe Jokic. Where you know if you have to get to a certain set, if you have to get to a certain look, Monte is going to be a very versatile piece on or off the ball in order to get there. There was one play that I'm remembering late where Bones has just been hot. He's just been exceptionally on fire in the fourth quarter against the Wizards. But Denver kind of gave up the lead a little bit. Monte and Will Barton come back in. But Bones, he manipulates the defense, drags him away from the opposite corner, lobs a pass over to Monte Morris. And then Monte immediately uh, dribbles past the closeout Calmly, it's a 17-footer, gets the ball to go, and just sort of, that's, that's just the process. That's the process of how Monte operates. It's not always like, it's not always the flashy, actually, it's very rarely the flashy move, but he's always going to find the open space, take advantage of wherever that is. And the fact that he was also three of seven from three tonight, he's somebody that you have to close out on hard, or else he's going to can a jumper in your eye. So it's just very impressive to see. Uh, As we continue to get positive injury news from Denver's current guys, I'm reminded that Monte Morris has just stepped up the entire season to the point that it hasn't just been Jokic all the time. It hasn't just been Aaron Gordon and Will Barton. You never knew if Monte Morris was going to be kind of lacking efficiency or maybe not uh, passing the ball as well or he might have a worse turnover uh, assist-to-turnover ratio is what I mean. That never happened with Monte Morris. He has been the same exact player. He has been a very valuable player because he's been playing the th- even more minutes, and it's just been great to see. Will Barton, uh, not the best game from Will. Didn't really shoot the ball well, but he did do some other things, and I, I just want to make sure to point that out here. Uh, he had four points, one of six from the field, zero of four from three. Uh, just just didn't shoot it well, but he only took six shots, so it's not like like his bad shooting tonight certainly wasn't impacting anybody else. Uh, he had five assists, two steals, remained a plus ten, and those five assists sometimes you saw that go to Jeff Green, but most of the time you saw it go to Nikola Jokic. And I think there were some. Uh, there was at least one assist on the bench, too. But uh, either way, Will can turn into that facilitator when Monte's got it going, when Aaron Gordon's playing well. I know that Will, uh, I, I say I know, but I'm pretty sure he had that pass to Aaron Gordon in the first quarter where he gets out on the break, has to kind of uh, maneuver a kind of contested pass over to Aaron Gordon on the on the wing for a three. But that caused the timeout, the first timeout that the Wizards had to take. And so it was that kind of play that really set the tone for everything. And Will being willing to give up the ball, uh, that's, that's an important thing for this team. He just seems very comfortable right now, despite the fact that the threes didn't go in. I feel like he's in a good role. I feel like he's in a good place. Last game, he shot the ball well didn't do as many other things tonight. He did the other things. That's what good role players do. Aaron Gordon, uh, he was one of two from three tonight, including the one that I just talked about. 14 points, six of 13 from the field. Only two rebounds is a little bit odd, but he was chasing around Kyle Kuzma for a lot of the game. And if you look at Kyle Kuzma's stat line, uh, he had six points on three of 10 from the field, zero of three from three. Kuzma did have nine rebounds and seven assists, so it wasn't like it was a perfect thing, but he was a team-worst minus 22. So there is something to the way that Aaron Gordon was defending him. Kuzma obviously became a little bit more of a passer, a playmaker, and so other guys made some shots. Okay, that's fine. But it was good to see what Aaron Gordon was willing to do and able to do, uh, despite the fact that he had been dealing with some sickness, despite the fact that he's definitely got these nagging injuries especially to the lower body, that are a little bit concerning for sure. Uh, But it was nice to see him have a good bounce-back game. Didn't do a bunch of other things other than the 14 points on 13 shots, as well as the defense on Kuzma. Uh, But you still like to see that. And he also got a a dunk. He's got a, a couple of good possessions around the rim, kind of feeding off of what Jokic does, but also feeding off of the other guys. So good on him for taking advantage. And then finally, Jeff Green. Uh, Not really a lot to say about Jeff. Just very much in the uh filling in as, as kind of the the other guy in a lot of these cases. But so much of what Jeff does is that when he doesn't stand out and everything's going well, usually he has a part of, to play in that. Like, I think he was the one who set the back screen for that uh, Nicole Jokic pass. He still remains efficient so that he's got six points on three shots and – just kind of what you need. He's also been like I don't know how whether people fully realize this. He's also just been a great three uh free throw shooter this year. He's up to 83% on the year. That has continued to trend up. That's going to go up after tonight too. And having somebody who can take advantage of those situations and be reliable in those situations is a really big deal. So I've mentioned Jermichael Green being very good as a free throw shooter before, but Jeff Green has also been great too. So staying positive, uh, this was a good game for him. Nothing really major to talk about with him, though. It was just a signature Jeff game where he did what he needed to do, and the Nuggets got the win. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss uh, everything going on With the NCAA, not the NCAA tournament, I'm sorry, I'm reading my DraftKings promo uh, with the bench unit. Uh, The Nuggets took care of business and the bench was a big reason why. We will be right back. But first, college basketball fans, join in on the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your big win. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win. Get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. I know for, for a fact, I am going to be betting CSU. Uh, they've got David Roddy. David Roddy's been fantastic. He's got a very unique matchup against the University of Michigan, and I am looking forward to that game for sure. Uh, I've actually got CSU going to the Sweet 16, and you can bet on that too if you want, but uh, Definitely get in on the action, betting some college hoops with same-game parlays, where you can combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So if you're interested, make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS. Bet $5 on any college hoops team and get $200 in free bets if they win. If they win, you win with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Pickaxe Roll Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you could, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. That would be fantastic. All right, let's get into the bench unit. Let's get into the conversation surrounding a very improved group. Uh, It didn't end up turning out to be the massive plus minus margin that I think everybody was hoping for, just because there was a little bit of a... shenanigans towards the end. I think Washington, yeah, they won the th- they won the fourth quarter, um, 28 to 23, where Denver kind of, their bench unit ran out of gas pretty clearly towards the end. But still, it was a very, very impressive performance. And I think you have to lead off with the new captain of that bench unit, rookie Bones Highland, who in so many games now, it just sort of feels like his mentality, his ability to sort of break down people off the dribble, find the new passing lanes, find the new opportunities to make an impact. He is making that impact in a pretty visceral way. And his, like his ability to see the floor, his ability to get his shots off, the rest of the bench unit is absolutely going to him in those situations and feeling very comfortable doing so. And the great thing about Bones, you would be a little bit worried about the decision-making at times. You'd be a little bit worried about the turnovers. That's definitely something that if you're the Nuggets, you're a little bit concerned with a rookie backup point guard, especially heading into a playoff series potentially. But Bones tonight, 17 points, six rebounds, five assists, stayed efficient, from the field, but also only two turnovers compared to his five assists. The team as a whole, five t- or nine turnovers. The starters had four, the bench had five. This was just a very clean game. And Denver being able to pass the ball the way that they do and sharing the basketball, sharing the opportunities, sometimes it doesn't look as pretty with the bench unit just because. It's not as dynamic. It's not Jokic there. It's Cousins. It's not a, I don't know, Monte Morris Like is still, I think, a better player than Bones Highland. But Bones is now, he's really showcasing himself. He's showcasing what he can look like when he gets into a rhythm and when he gets those opportunities. 24 minutes for him. uh, Also had one steal, was a plus three in his minutes tonight. And Smith, I thought, was going to be the Nugget's killer once again, but he only had seven points on three of twelve from the field. Did hit his only three, though. That was that was very scary. Um, but it is just very impressive to see Bones kind of step up as the leader of that unit. For a while, I'm not really sure who the leader was. And then you trade for Bryn Forbes. Everybody's excited to have him. You add Boogie Cousins everybody's excited to give him the ball. Now it sort of feels like it's been bones's turn of late and he doesn't always lead the team in shots. And he didn't even lead the bench unit tonight. That was, that was boogie. But I do think objectively like bones is the guy you want the ball in his, in his hands, making the decisions like boogie can sometimes be very up and down a little bit volatile. Of course, um, and sometimes he doesn't make the best decisions with the basketball, but Bones has really acquitted himself well as a backup point guard option. And it's not something I expected. I, I thought that he would be more of a gunner type. That's, that's what I expected um, when Denver initially drafted him. But it was so clear just from the first game of his summer league that he was far more than just a gunner. He was far more than somebody who just took shots from 30 feet. And he's been making those lately and made another one tonight that was very impressive. But I do think that the majority of what I'm looking at with him is as somebody who sees the court really well and is willing to get out of the way and share the success with other people. It's just been really cool. And I wouldn't like – like he he loves to show off. Like he loves to uh, maybe make the open court dribble moves, uh, fillet a little bit. I got to talk about that Austin Rivers layup too, by the way. Um, but Bones Highland has totally acquitted himself and totally proved himself at this level. And it's very clear that he's going to be in this league for a long time as long as he stays healthy. Still needs to build up his body. Still needs to get a little bit better defensively. Sometimes a little bit of space cadet where he can get back, uh, where he can get pushed under the rim a little bit. But if he rounds out his weaknesses just a little bit more, adds to his strengths just a little bit more, he's going to be in this league for a long, long time, even if he doesn't change a whole heck of a lot. He's already talented. He's already figuring things out. I think he's up to 37% from three now. That's incredible for a rookie. Really, really is incredible, especially with the kinds of shots that he takes. So, great stuff from Bones. Uh, A-plus came from him for sure. Bryn Forbes. Actually, no, we'll go to Austin Rivers now. Austin Rivers started off the first half really well. He had 10 of his 13 in the first half. Very much a scorer, very much somebody who took advantage of the Washington Wizards' bad defense over and over again. And there was one play that induced a timeout where he gets the ball. He either split the defense or went baseline or something. And then threw up this impressive, sexy layup where you jump from one side of the rim. And then you wrap around the ball with your right hand and finish on the left side of the rim by putting it up off the glass reverse layup and, uh, and getting that little English on it. Uh, He looked really good. And having a player like that who can take advantage of his own mismatches, finishing at the rim pretty well, that's a really important way to take the pressure off of a rookie point guard. Uh, He continues to do that. He continues to take on tough defensive assignments. And that's just something that you continue looking for with him, that he's he's always going to provide for Denver. And it wasn't his best defensive night. He was the main guy on Denny Avdia who had 19 points off the bench. But I'm not really concerned about that within the grand scheme of things. Like, Denny Avdia was their first option, and Rui Yachimura was, well, Rui was their first option off the bench, and he wasn't very efficient. That's probably why his plus his plus minus wasn't great. Same with Denny Avdia. That even though he had 19 points, and even though he was efficient, he was still a minus 14. He was still a part of a lot of the lineups that Denver had on the court where Denver just got whatever they wanted, and Austin Rivers was a big reason for that. So really impressed with Denver's bench. Uh, Bryn Forbes as well didn't shoot his most efficient tonight, but he had a couple that were rimming in and out, just just very much down, almost in. 10 points, 3 of 9 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3. And the classic Bryn Forbes, 0 rebounds, 0 assists, 0 steals, 0 blocks, 0 turnovers. Two fouls. Plus 10. He had the best plus minus on the bench. And a lot of it is just because he hits those threes. And he hit an and one, a four point play in the first quarter or in the second quarter. It was right at the beginning. And that's right where Denver started putting their foot down, where they never allowed the Wizards to get anywhere close after that. Just a really, really important play. And it was a play where the Wizards basically gave up after that. They were just going through the motions at that point. Boogie Cousins, 20 minutes tonight, 14 points, 6 of 12 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, 1 of 2 from the line. Did have 5 rebounds, did have 3 assists, 1 block, 1 turnover, had 5 fouls. It wasn't his best game, but it's also one where I'm, I'm willing to forgive just because the guards were, were doing some great stuff. And when they combined for 40 points... Bones, Rivers, and Forbes by themselves, then Cousins doesn't have to be the most efficient he's ever been. He scored 14 and he scored it on 12 shots, and that's good enough. That's perfectly fine. He also, I think, just kind of took advantage of Chris Porzingis on a number of occasions and made him look small. Um, Porzingis at one point, uh, he went 0 of 2 from 3 tonight, but one of them was against the starters. One of them was against the bench. And one of those threes was immediately after Boogie kind of had that interior presence and then Porzingis and kind of the, the complete alternate uh, to who Boogie is. Actually, it's that's not really true, at least not right, right now, but Porzingis didn't want anything to do with the interior at that point and just pop for a three that was about 30 feet out uh, with about 18 seconds on the shot clock which is objectively funny. Uh, he airballed it, if I'm not mistaken, or at least bricked it badly. Oh, no, in the first uh, first quarter against Jokic, uh, I think there was a switch and Porzingis airballed it. It was so bad. But yeah, like it just seems like Boogie's very comfortable. He was giving the guards a lot of space, and the guards were giving him a lot of space in this game, and it just made things relatively easy for the bench unit. And finally, Jermichael Green... Only two points tonight, one of three from the field, five rebounds, three offensive. Not a lot to write home about for Michael, but it, it wasn't really his matchup. Like I thought he did a pretty good job on Rui. Thought he did a pretty good job on um uh, Thomas Bryant, Daniel Gafford, Denny Avdia when he got switched onto those guys. Nothing really major from him. Just very much seemed like a, a run-of-the-mill game for J Mike, where he doesn't necessarily do all of the things from a sexy scoring and blocking and stealing perspective. But he filled in the gaps just like he normally does. So I'm not like this is this is a perfectly fine game within the grand scheme of an 18-point win. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about uh, Michael Porter and Jamal Murray. Should we talk about that? Should we talk about the report from yesterday? Yeah, I think let's do it. We'll be right back. back final segment pickaxe and roll thank you so much for tuning in really appreciate all the love and support as always all right let's get into actually before before we do the murray mpj stuff i do want to reference the magic number once again it's down to 11 for a top six seed for a lock in the playoffs uh that's the most important number for nuggets fans to continue to monitor uh as everybody knows i've been tracking this for a while now and uh, it's easy to track this if you want to do it yourself, but basically what, the, what this says is that the Nuggets, in order to claim a top six playoff spot, you need to look at the team right below you, and in this case, it's the Minnesota Timberwolves, and uh, the T-Wolves are on a roll. They're 9-1 in their last 10. They're 10-2 since the All-Star break. Uh the Mavs are eight and two. The Javs, the Jazz are seven and four. The Nuggets are nine and three. Like everybody's just winning right now. It's it's kind of unbelievable. But in order to calculate the magic number, if you're a Nuggets fan, you have to calculate. Okay, so the Minnesota Timberwolves, how many games can they win from here on out? Well, they're forty-one and thirty. So if they won all of their games, if they went eleven to zero the rest of the way then that puts them at 52 wins. The Nuggets, who don't have the tiebreaker against the Timberwolves, and probably won't even if they win against them, they will need 53 wins in order to surpass them. If you go, if they're both at the same number of wins, then it's likely going to be the Timberwolves who have the tiebreaker. So Denver needs to be a game above whatever the T-Wolves finish. So... The T-Wolves go fo- their 41 and 30. If they go 11 and 0 the rest of the way, that puts them at 52 wins. That means that in order to get to 53 wins, Denver needs to win 11 more games. So 11 is Denver's magic number. Now, if the T-Wolves lose a couple games, that magic number drops by itself. You calculate the magic number by combining the number of losses that a that the lower team has combined with the number of wins that the higher seeded team has. So if the T-Wolves, if you plan on the T-Wolves losing, let's say four games going forward, then the Nuggets, they, they know that they need to win seven because the magic number is 11. So pretty easy to calculate. If you have any questions, just let me know. All right, let's get into the bulk of this. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. Both have had some news come out over the course of these past few days. Actually, well, the Michael Porter news is from me. Um, at least I haven't seen anything else really reported from anywhere. But we'll start with the Jamal Murray stuff because I think that's the most surprising. The report came out yesterday that he was going down to Grand Rapids. Apparently Sham Sharania had it first. I thought I had it first, but is what it is. Sham um, Sharania... Reported that Jamal Murray was going down to Grand Rapids to practice uh, with the gold. Uh, The Nuggets, obviously, on the road, they were taking a train yesterday. Or actually, no, uh, yeah, they were taking a train yesterday from Philly to Washington. Jamal Murray, he practiced today on Wednesday morning. Uh, I asked about full contact. And I was told that that language wasn't quite accurate and that he wasn't necessarily doing full contact, but that there is still some four on four, some five on five work going on. It's mostly going to be half court, not necessarily all full court, but there will be some stuff where it sort of mm, kind of mirrors what a game situation will look like. And it gets Denver a, a nice, good picture, gets Jamal Murray a nice, good picture of what he looks like. And how he feels in those situations. And obviously, he can't do that with Denver right now because Denver doesn't practice. They go through walkthroughs. They go through uh, basic uh, shoot-around drills and things like that right now. No real practicing anymore. So for Denver and for Murray, it wasn't necessary for him to be with the Nuggets in order to do this work. He had to go somewhere else and do it. And it also just kind of shows some intention to me that he wants to be back with the Nuggets by the time that they get back from their road trip. That's, what I, that's from what I understand. He wants to get involved. He wants to be back in town when that happens. I, I wouldn't rule out another G League stint at some point, just in case. But it does seem like this is really a, a ramp-up period for him and that he's probably been further along, I think, than everybody else has been advertising. I really do think that the physical thing, everything has looked pretty good for him for a while now. And this is just about him getting mentally confident about him being in a situation where he can trust the knee, where he can trust himself and really understand what he can and can't do and feel like he can do more and more and more things as he continues to play. During the game today, Chris Dempsey also had a report uh, that he would not be surprised if he returns during the homestand. I'm pretty sure that's the correct language of what he said. This came from uh, Jake Shapiro, who I I was listening to the Washington broadcast, so I didn't actually hear it myself, but it sounds like perhaps Chris knows something that I don't. And this is a very good case of having different information, having different timelines, Perhaps he knows something a little bit more from how the practice went today. According to Mike Singer, he said it went pretty well and that there was optimism that Jamal would be practicing again tomorrow on Thursday. So if that's what happens, then great. Then he's on his way and then he he feels pretty good and he's really trying to ramp up. And if he were able to get back for the homestand, even playing like that would be insane. That would be a very large surprise to me personally based off of what I was told, but it's it would be a very large surprise and a very positive surprise that he could get back in a reasonable amount of time, give himself a little bit of cushion, and try to give the Nuggets a little bit of cushion as they continue to try to work themselves into a situation where he's playing on a consistent basis and playing a role that everybody knows and understands. Hypothetically, let's say, okay, so there are 12 games left for the Nuggets right now. They've played 70 games. Today was game 70. Friday is against Cleveland. That is game 71. Sunday is against the Celtics at home. It's the first time that I think Michael Porter could return, but I do think that he returns later in the week. Well, hypothetically, let's say game 72 is when he's, or game 73 is when he's really shooting for. That's a Tuesday. Uh, Hypothetically, he'd have 10 games to ramp up, to really figure himself out, to play 15 to 20 to 25 minutes, to really see what he can do and see how he feels. And you ramp that up, you have 10 games. Then you have a week off before the playoffs, assuming that Denver avoids the play-in. And then you can get ready for whoever the first-round playoff seed is. That's a reasonable amount of time. It's not a great amount of time, but it's better than the alternative, which is coming back in a couple weeks from now. in On April 1st, let's say where that's the, that first game is against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and Denver probably needs to really win that game. So you've got five games at that point, as opposed to the 10 that you would have right now. Very drastically different times, very drastically different amounts of ramp-up and data and experience for Murray to get back and really see what he can do. But I do think that if that's on the table and getting back sooner rather than later is on the table, then Denver's in a really good position. And he's in a really good position to put himself into a situation where he could actually impact the team in a positive way down the stretch. Now let's go to Michael Porter Jr. I reported this yesterday uh, following the Jamal Murray situation, the, the practice that he was going to go attend. Obviously, he's going for another one. I reported this yesterday that there is a distinct possibility that Porter would return as soon as next week. Let me be clear: there's a possibility. It's whether it's likely. I wasn't given a likely in that situation. I was given a possible in that situation. And so, if he has to delay it just a little bit more, if the Nuggets want to see him a little bit more before they throw him into the fire. That's understandable. Like, they've been on the road, they haven't seen him. Maybe they'll want to see him for a little bit more, incorporate him during the road trip a little bit more. Or, or like he's on the he's on the homestand for this upcoming week. And if he doesn't play on that, then maybe he plays on the road. But I have to imagine that he would return to a home game. That's my general expectation with these things. So the home games kind of go away. Or not, not go away, but it becomes a little bit more irregular of a schedule after this four-game homestand that's about to come up. So that's when I think he's coming back. I, I really do genuinely think that. I had not heard the possibility of Jamal coming back that week. Uh, maybe, like I said, Chris Dempsey is actually, if he's hearing something that's updated from the practice, then is what it is. Like, that's that's different updated information, and I'm happy to be wrong. Um, but perhaps like, cause I thought that the, the MPJ and Jamal returns were independent that they weren't necessarily tied together. Perhaps that's not true. Perhaps they are actually related where you bring them back together at the same time, kind of shock the system a little bit for the entire rotation, but try to figure it out on the fly rather than staggering those returns and seeing that, Hey, that could be a really, really big issue. Uh, in trying to figure out rotations and chemistry and timings and uh, just everything that goes into planning a rotation and planning a game plan. It throws it out of whack. So you might as well make it really weird for a few games and try to adjust after that. I think that's probably the right call. So if that's a possibility, then great. Like Porter has been looking great physically for a while now. Uh, three weeks ago, exactly, he was playing one-on-one against Davon Reed. Uh, that that video came out of him playing King of the Hill against his younger brother, who goes to DU, along with another friend, I assume, uh, in which he looked great. He, he was a little bit torqued down, of course, uh, to about 70%, but still really good. And I think that these are all good signs. You're starting to hear about real, genuine work in getting back on the court. More than just the one-on-one, one-on-zero. You're starting to hear about factoring in team play, factoring in uh, up and down the court, how these players are moving laterally, how everybody's feeling after an extended run. Those are promising things. And I'm looking forward to seeing whether it comes to manifest next week. What we're gonna see, and it's possible that look, maybe I was fed incorrect information. Maybe this is all wrong. Maybe, maybe we're doing this, and and that's one of those things that like injuries are very fluid. It's it's always possible to be wrong about some of these things, but I try not to be, and I do think that I I trust myself and I trust the person who I heard this from, and like that's just kind of how this thing goes. Is you don't want to get burned, but you only put it out there if you feel like you don't want to get burned. Or if you feel like it's unlikely at least. So I trust myself. If I'm wrong, you can roast me. Not a big deal to me. Uh that's this job is very hard. It's it's a very, very hard process. And especially with long term injuries to stars, like that is probably the most difficult part to cover for a sports reporter. So I totally get it when people uh criticize insiders and whatnot. But it's just – it's one of those things that you need to be rock solid on your information. And if you're not, then it's just very uh, very difficult and very scary. So, either way, I do think that Jamal Murray is coming back. I do think that Michael Porter is coming back. I think that these guys a little bit more delayed perhaps than they initially thought or at least po- not Porter. Like he, his was ambiguous and nobody really knew. Jamal, I think he, he – and – others around him. Thought that it might be a little bit sooner. Obviously, it's been a little bit more delayed, but this is perfectly in line with where normal ACL recovery and rehab goes. So I'm not surprised by this in the slightest. I'm hopeful that he comes back and feels pretty good because the dimension for the Nuggets of him and Michael Porter Jr. and Monte Morris and Will Barton and Aaron Gordon and Jeff Green and Bones Highland, and Austin Rivers, and Bryn Forbes, and Jermichael Green, and DeMarcus Cousins, all surrounding Nicole Jokic and what he does well. That's a really exciting prospect to me. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, as always. I am going to be recording a podcast immediately after this one and uploading it at a later date. Uh, It's going to be about the rotation. It's going to be about the ramifications of bringing back Murray and Porter. And if that comes to pass, that will post tomorrow um, or at least about close to 24 hours after this one posts. So we will see. Looking forward to how that plays out. But either way, look out for that one for sure. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Talk to you guys version.